0: Hey guys, welcome to the studio. Hello. Today we have uh, Oscar and we have Lindblom, whose actual first name is uh, Christopher. But uh, I call you Lindblom because it feels weird to, ki- to call people by your own first name. And my name is Christopher Two. Uh, With a two. Too. <laughs> Christopher Two. Two is my last name.
1: Yep. And so um, I call w- myself Christopher, by the way. Yeah. Now you have to stop. In
0: you. your head, or? <laughs> I just want to make that obvious to whoever listens. Uh, it could be a little bit confusing because, Oscar, you refer to us both as Christopher.
2: No. Lim okay. Christopher. Okay. Okay, cool. Then, then it's, no, then it's we're, okay. We're good. We're good. All
0: right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See how sad he looks now. <laughs> All right. So um, we were thinking about talking a little bit about data models today. Yep. Because you asked me a question yesterday where you basically said, Well, do you remember
2: the question you had? No, I was. <laughs> I, I don't actually. I was thinking about it today at lunch, right? That I know the subject of this podcast, but I could not remember why we came to this subject okay. to begin with. That, that I can't remember either. But um, so the question
0: you asked me was, What is the difference between an object and an entity?
2: Right. Yes, yes. Um, exactly. And I said, let's talk about that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, and I was referring more to the actual implementation because we talked about so, how, how would you implement an entity yeah. in code, right? This is a fun, this is a
0: fun exercise, I think. We'll, may, maybe we'll see more of this in the podcast. But yeah. I haven't really prepared anything. Have you prepared anything, Lindblom? No. no. Perfect. So uh, we're going to try to answer your questions without preparation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there might be some Mistakes. questionable <laughs> facts, representations, but we will alternative make facts, but we'll try to make it obvious or not obvious, but kind of like yeah. somewhat more clear to the best of our ability. So it's like, uh, yeah. yeah, that's a challenge. So
1: Limdom, how would you explain? <laughs> an entity and an object. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, an object can be an entity. I mean, an object is just an object in your programming image. Right. But an entity has a unique ID. As soon as you get an object with that ID, that could be seen as the same, same thing. Okay. Like if you have an order and you have an order ID. If I get an order ID from a service and I get an order, that will be the same order. It's supposed to be the same because we have an ID. But if you have something that does not have its own identifier, then it's not an identity. That's how... uh, That's uh, a surprisingly good start, I would say. That's a a really good uh,
0: good point. Because uh, when you talk about the word entity, most of it comes from entity relationship
2: data modeling. Exactly. I've done that in school. Yeah.
0: And um, when you say that an object... like, Like we're talking about two different domains, basically. Like... The entity is the in one way, could be the abstract concept of a specific uh, instance, like a class, and of it's a thing in the or... domain model. <laughs> yeah, now well, we can talk about entity relationship modeling, uh, which you're using a lot of times when we're drawing up a data model, uh, especially when you're like um, you know let's say you're designing a database and uh, you know a, a traditional relational database uh, for example. Uh, you can talk about an entity as being. A specific row in a table. But that's not quite true. Oh, yeah, it's actually, mostly true. But then you can have sometimes, in order to normalize your data based design, you split them, you split uh, an entity kind of over two tables. But, but in, in the most simple term, you can think of an entity as a row in a table that's how we would discuss it so if we're having a discussion about the domain model or the data model of a system you know we can talk about these different uh, entities that are flying around in there representing often real world things entities yeah but uh, if you take uh, an object a lot of time an object is something that lives inside your application as a as a thing represented by memory and uh, you can have two objects representing the same entity. Yes. But there's still just one entity in reality.
2: All right. Does that make any sense? I, Given both your explanations, I like to compare an entity to a class, as I briefly mentioned earlier. It feels like an, an object to an entity is almost like an object to its class that defines it.
0: In some ways. I mean, I think we're using the word entity in... It can mean slightly different things. Sometimes it just means the definition of an entity. Like I can talk about the order entity as sure. As you know, the, a, the fields, yeah, the fields that make up an order. Yes. But then we can talk about a specific order. And now we're talking about, you know, the order entity with ID one, two, three. And that is that specific order entity. Right. So
2: I mean, in that scenario, it wouldn't make sense to say the order object. Because we're talking about the order. No, if you're, you're talking about the order object yeah. in the code, then, then the, it is an sure, object. Yeah. Right. If it's that specific, but when we're just talking about here are the orders flowing, we're not literally talking about objects. Maybe we're talking about them as entities in a in a yeah, data that object, model. That
1: object is just an accessor to that entity. Maybe we can say it like that. Like yeah. That's what you have. Because that's what you have in your sure. code. That's the code representation of the and so you ask like for that entity and then you get the yeah the, the object, entity right? exists as an abstract concept rather yeah and yeah. the entity and the- let's say that your order has some fields on it and those are also represented by classes but mm-hmm. they are not entities because they don't have an id they they don't stand on their own they are just like data carriers for the order properties. Right. Like, uh, because you said something like a class represents an entity, which it doesn't. Uh, It doesn't have to. Yeah. So C entities more as having a unique identifier and anytime you have that, it doesn't matter which object it is. it's it's supposed to be the same. If you think about the database per se, if you're thinking about a relational
0: database having a table, you know, that table holds entities but um, there is no object involved. Right. An object is just an implementation. A rep, it could be a representation of an entity. It could represent many other things. But when you're talking about entities, you're talking about the model itself from a... Often from like a business perspective almost. Like the order means something to the business. But the object holding data about an order is just a technical side effect of how you implemented the application. So and this is where from I, I think it's... Interesting, there's a vast difference between talking about structuring code versus the domain model, which is often tries to emulate reality or model reality, Mm -hmm. uh, often in a simplistic way. But at the same time, they do share a lot in common as well. So, you know, because the object is more like a model of the memory in, in your computer. The entity is a model of reality and it could be implemented in many different ways. It could be a document in a document database. It could be a row in in an ER or a relational database. It could be an object in memory of your application. Mm -hmm. And that kind of brings us to data modeling or why we call it, sometimes refer to it as domain modeling. Because domain modeling is more about Creating a representation of reality or whatever problem domain that you're in, while data modeling is more about like how should we store this data, you know, in our application for whatever goal we might have. Maybe it's performance. You know, we want to do some specific processing. We can slice and dice that data all day long for our different purposes. But the domain model as specific point is to explain how the application sees the real world, <laughs> mm-hmm. in a way. And it's, uh, it, it quickly becomes quite abstract, even though it could actually be more concrete, because from, from a developer's standpoint, the domain model is just some mumbo-jumbo business thing, maybe.
2: For me, that is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but for someone coming from the business, you know, if you talk, start talking about classes and objects and whatever, it doesn't make any sense to them. They're, they're like, yeah. I have this order. It sits here on the table. <laughs> You know, Or I have this customer. Yeah. yeah, that's the person walking around in the real world. And we attach a name to that customer, we save it in the database, all the properties we care about. But that, that model that we save in the database just represents, it's a model of that actual entity that you are doing business with in reality. So if you're selling something to another company, you can't take, physically take that company and stick it into your database, right? You create a model of that company. Right. And then you say, okay, what do we care about this company? Or Like, what are the properties that are important to us? Well, we need to know the name of the company, maybe. Maybe we need to know the address of the company. We want to know which price list this company has when they're buying from us, because they might have a specific price list uh, that they have negotiated. And um, that is what we uh, take into our domain model, because that's the domain we care about.
1: Yeah, when you have these you get this company and then you also try to, like from this then, you can start capturing these events. Like what do they want to do? What happens when they, so you just take whatever is happening in the world or or that you want to happen in the world and you capture this inside of this uh, domain map that you're building. And then like we have a common, because those things that happen is actually things that happen in the world. And then we use that Uh, to build our application to work in a similar fashion or at least in the beginning, I guess. Because then we have this map with the common, like our (laughs) map of the world. I don't know where I want to get, but I mean, that's... I'm getting the point here. Yeah, because instead of starting to defining classes and stuff, we don't care about that because those are just there to help you build the world that you uh, modeled. Right. And no one really cares about that. It's just that you change the model that later, then you have to make that be reflected in your code. Also with the current state yeah. of the application. And this is where the whole,
0: I don't know if you heard this, but have you heard about domain-driven development? Very briefly. Yeah. So the idea behind domain-driven development is that you let the domain drive the development. Kind of obvious, right, from the name. Sure. When, when I first heard it, I was like, this makes no sense to me at all. No. but if you think about how, you know, someone might go about implementing something in that they, you know, they start thinking about a problem and they start thinking about it in terms of code, how they would like, you know, to model this thing inside a code, they often end up with a solution. Like ultimately they're going to have a domain model, but the domain model is going to be sort of extracted from the implementation. While in domain-driven development, you don't actually start coding until you actually settled on what the domain model looks like.
2: So you reverse it.
0: Exactly. You do the, you, So you start by you know, taking a piece of paper or a whiteboard or whatever, you start to draw out the domain model. You start to define the different entities. And then only after you're done, like, okay, this is the model we want to have of this problem domain of the world, uh, then you go about implementing it. And then you can take liberties in terms of implementing it like, okay, we we have to implement it like this because that gives us better performance. Uh, but the domain model is still the same. You don't change the domain model and you, you communicate using the domain model, like communicating between people in the project. Right. You talk through the domain model. And it's kind of like, you know, how test-driven development starts out by writing the test because the tests are driving the implementation and this is the domain driving the model that you build in the application. The memory model or whatever is driven by the domain that defines the abstract model of the
2: data going around in the system. And, um, but yeah. you could have both, right? You could have both domain-driven and test-driven development, couldn't you? Definitely. Yeah, yeah you should. You should, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I was <laughs> thinking about that, Yeah. Too. Yeah, you, yeah, but, but that's actually... Two... That, that is
0: not, I think that is not a too uncommon misconception that i have to choose one
1: of these something dd how to
2: drive my development
1: exactly yeah but i think the like the ddd and the bdd uh, usually goes pretty much together because you start with the design uh, domain driven design and then you get all your your scenarios really uh, from that and then you say oh this is the behavior of the system then you define the behavior and then you can write those tests so you get the bdd Mm-hmm, yeah, behavior, behavior driven. driven design yeah, yeah, uh, design is
0: usually, yeah, uh, so you can call it domain driven design or domain driven development, yeah, it's basically the same thing in the end anyway, but I think design is the more common wording, uh, so it's domain driven design. you design the system based on right. the on the uh, domain. I would argue though that to some degree the uh, behavior is partly also part of the domain or like they are very much entangled. You know, because what, if you look at a domain from, you know, we used to draw a lot of ER diagrams when we wanted to represent something. Sure. What an ER diagram gives you are the, the various entities and their properties and their relationships between yep. them. Now, that is part of the domain model. But when you're thinking about, for example, event-based system, the events themselves becomes part of the domain as well like things that happens inside of the domain is also part of the domain. So it's not just that customer has a relationship to an order, but a customer actually places an order, which is more of an event. It's like an action that the customer can do within our domain. Mm-hmm. And that is just as important to define. And this is when, when you're talking about people in the DDD community, they're way beyond ER diagrams, right? We're talking about how the system or how the different entities interact. Uh, You talk about clusters of entities called aggregates. So aggregates is basically you aggregate multiple entities that actually kind of is the same thing. Classic example is order. So in an ER diagram, you would have, often you'd have some sort of order entity which has many rows, order rows, right? Sure but if you want an aggregate of an order contains both the order information and the rows because the rows cannot live without the order so you call you say that the order entity is the aggregate root and then that is attached to or then it has might have many sort of sub entities and the rule is uh, nobody outside the aggregate can reference an entity inside of that aggregate they have to reference the root of the aggregate so you can have a relationship with the order uh, mm-hmm. firsthand, but you can't have a relationship with a row in that aggregate. And the reason you want to avoid that is basically the aggregate should be free to change in and of itself without having to worry about external relationships. Because this is the problem that you often find yourself in if you have a relational database that you've been working with for maybe 20 years all of a sudden you find yourself like, there's so much entanglement inside of this database. Like you can't, you know, I take this this row, <laughs> I want to do something with it, and it ha- affects all kind of, like you have 30 other tables to, mm-hmm. to be aware of. But with sort of aggregate design, eh, you impose some discipline on your relationships to make your domain much easier to work with. And this lends itself perfectly to Document databases, for example, because each document in a database is an an aggregate and it can be nested with multiple entities. So a document in, let's say, MongoDB could contain many entities Mm. where you have the order, but inside there you have like an array of rows. But those rows are entities in our domain model, but nobody can actually reference them directly. They reference the order.
2: Right. I think I followed along on that. So we basically have the... The aggregates and was something else? The root aggregate? Or what uh, the, was the word? You have an the aggregate base. root, which is the essentially are... the
0: base entity. Exactly, um, which is the one you communicate to, right? Or Well, it depends on how you implement it. You I mean, if you're implementing, let's say, an actor model, the actor lends itself very well to this model as well because each aggregate in your domain model maps one-to-one to an actor in your implementation, Okay. for example. You know, if you do your domain modeling right it becomes a lot easier to implement it. But it's optional, of course. It's imposed discipline right. in a lot of ways. Like we, we enforce ourselves to not do certain things in one end because we know it will be easier in the other end. Just like all the programming paradigms are limitations on what you can do. Like You can't read half of this integer. Well, you that's to, get to prevent you from making mistakes. Exactly.
2: All right. But so if we just step back a moment here to... Yes, domain-driven development or design. We talk a lot about it here at the company as we follow those design principles mostly, I believe. But what is the option then? If you don't do this, where do you start? Uh, Usually where you start is making a bunch of classes. Or database. I mean, you start with your database (laughs) database and then you go from there. But you must have had an idea in your mind then that led you to create the database the way you did right yeah exactly that's why ddd and bdd could be a bit it can be
0: perceived as like an unnecessary detail because if you think about behavior driven design it's about defining the behavior of the system and let that sort of and, and derive the application from the behavior that you want to see right mm-hmm. but most people when you start to program they don't think about the behavior they think about what function do i need now and then they build that function right and the whole purpose of all these techniques or these ways of working is just to
1: avoid ending up in an entangled mess yeah i was going to say that too uh, because what you get here by doing this uh, map of the domain first is that you you've Find the issues like with your. You start to when you hear a problem as a coder. At least I do. I think many with me just the same. We start thinking in code uh, pretty fast. It's like oh, but I can do this. This you start thinking about the solution while you hear the problem instead of just focusing on getting the whole problem. You see the part of the solution all the time. But then, when as requirement comes up, let's say that you. You can place an order. And when you place an order, you want this to happen. So you add a method call at that send point. Send mail. Yeah, send Perhaps. mail. So you add uh, place order, and then after that, on the next line, send mail. Yep. Okay, and then you also want to do this. And then you keep adding to that. That means that you are calling more and more services from your from your class. Right. If you would then, let's uh, say that you instead would have made this using uh, event, then you can say order placed and then send the order number. And then two things could listen to that. And if you want to remove one, you just change. You don't have to go into that order placement
2: and move method code, to do it.
1: Yeah. And you tend to end up with inaccurate models. And that is
0: an that is a problem that is so obvious. It's like that, if we want to talk about the elephant in the room, uh, inaccurate models is, the I think, the, the biggest plague, or the biggest problem affecting... IT systems today. Like you end up in situations where you can't build certain features because your model does not map reality because you made assumptions or didn't really think about it. We had an example earlier today, which can be directly derived to this in a a way where just to give the listeners some some perspective, you got a call earlier today, Lindblom, from the postal services saying that they had unintentionally broken your package, which was on the way. your house and they call you up and say hey what should we do and you send send it back to the uh, store where where you buy it or where you bought it and they were like okay we'll do that and then like 10 minutes later you get an SMS saying before
1: that I send a message home saying there won't be a package you can you don't have to sit there and wait anymore your personal situation is not the point here but anyway I think it is (laughs) okay maybe it is (laughs)
0: yeah Yeah, well it wouldn't it wouldn't have been a problem if you hadn't done that sure but like a few minutes later
1: you get an SMS saying uh, your package is on the way to your house. Yeah. So and I have to send a new message home saying yeah. it's not broken anymore. It's coming. <laughs> okay. Now, I think people realize the problem here. Yeah. You talk to customer services, you, you agree with
0: customer services that they are going to send the package back to the store. Yeah. Ten minutes later, you get an SMS saying the complete opposite. Yeah. Right? And that's very confusing. Yeah. So I have to call them. Yeah. So you call them up. Yeah. And you asked them what the, f- what the yeah. hell is going on, right? And they said, well, in order to send the package back to the store, we have to load the package onto a truck. Yeah, in And as soon as we load the package onto a truck, we send this SMS saying it's on the way to your house.
2: Because the truck is only expected to deliver, exactly. not to return.
0: The model that they have does not reflect no. reality. Because the model doesn't take into account that the truck that you actually put the package on might not be the truck that is on the way to your house, right? And this is the kind of problems that you end up with when you, don't, when you have a model which doesn't reflect reality.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that you have to have, you know, for every single problem, you have to have an exact representation of the whole universe because all models are simplifications. But there's a difference between having a model which is simple versus having a model that is wrong.
1: I think this is um, like the problem. If we could guess what the problem was here, was that they probably didn't have a warehouse domain expert in the room when they were doing the model because they could say, oh, but sometimes the packages are bad like, and yeah. we have to send them back. They only got to part of the way. Yeah. They would know that. They would see it in the domain model because they, they just talk about what they do all day. You just you ask them, what do you do then and what do you do? What happens then?" and what And they just answer these questions, and all of these gets captured. and, and those that, become, that is mm-hmm.
0: a perfect segue into another concept, uh, which you often hear about in the DDD space, called the domain expert, because you as a developer or a designer of a system,
1: the expert of all, you might not be
0: you might not be the expert. Oh. You might not actually know how reality works, right. No. Uh, so then you bring on, in these domain experts, and if you think these domain experts can see your code and figure out what the problem is, then yeah, well <laughs> you will have a problem. <laughs> you will have a problem. So uh, a big thing within both the BDD and the DDD community is about communicating with non-technical people. That should be the, through the, the so-called domain, domain experts, right? Yeah. So if you tell you know in DDD we use a lot of different visualizations to model, you know, a process or a data flow or just uh, the data itself, like a data model. Uh, There are many, many techniques and you have to sometimes combine them and you have to like, you know, depending on the context. In BDD, you talk a lot about, you know, writing specifications as uh, sort of tests, like Gherkin uh, Mm. style, Uh, you know, do you define... Uh, the behavior of the system in human language that anybody basically can understand, and the only reason we're doing that is to make sure that these domain experts who has the actual knowledge uh, can <laughs> contribute with their uh, with their knowledge. A good side effect is that it also helps you you as a developer also think more clearly
2: in terms of like usage rather than yeah, yeah, function. yeah because uh, when
0: you when you think in code you end up not seeing the whole picture. You're looking way into, like you're, you're too close. You have to zoom out and you have to see the, the bigger picture. And uh, a domain model is really ho- difficult to get right if you start in one end and then you you know go from there. You have to basically come full circle to see whether it will work or not. So you can't just start coding a class in one end, you know, Wow, we need a a customer. Okay, let's create a customer. And then uh, the customer uh, has, you know, places order and you start to create an order. and And then it's like, oh, but then we have invoices. What should we do with them? You know, and then you start running into problems and maybe you have to go back and change your domain model and it takes a lot of time. So it's usually a lot more efficient to have ways of documenting and visualizing these things in a way where you can iterate very quickly. Uh, And you can also actually see the mistakes, which is not always the case when you're looking at code. It's very easy to,
1: you know, skip some obvious thing because you were looking too close at the problem. Yeah, and also without this, I mean, the domain expert that we talk about, they are not expert as in a doctor or something. They are just expert at being themselves in their regular job, in their regular situation. Seeing things that the people who designed that situation did not think about. Because those warehouses or those uh, like marketing areas, uh, like, I don't know what it's called, but, you know, groups of people who do that. uh, Like the people who put them together, their job, they haven't done it like lived in the chaos probably. Mm -hmm. So they like the process they think they're following is probably not the process they are following exactly. And when we code, we are pretty exact because the code runs as the code runs. Yeah. yeah it's also a great
0: way of discovering uh, unknown unknowns, which are things you didn't even know that you didn't know. Like if you're going to do an integration, we are usually talking about known unknowns. Like I need to know which format I have to send my decimals in. You know, should I have a decimal point or how many decimals should there be, you know? We, we don't know the answer to those questions, but we know that it's a question that we need to ask. But if you're looking at more like a, in, in, a, in a space where you have to develop a system to, to support someone in their daily work, you often find a lot of unknown unknowns, like things you couldn't even imagine asking for, right? So, and then there are, there are a lot of techniques to kind of, smoke those things out by sitting with a domain expert and walking through the process. You always find things that uh, you know, could uh, is obvious once you find, find them. Like, oh, of course. But before, it's like, you haven't looked there, you won't see it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've had many many cases like that when I've done domain exploration with, uh, with domain experts and, you know, you find processes that, are, that have been organically developed over many years. And the people, usually you don't have one domain expert who knows how everything works. But you have maybe four or five or even you know, 20 people mm-hmm. who are all part of this process and they know their little piece of it. But there's nobody at the company who knows the full, full flow anymore. Right. Maybe there was at some point, but you know maybe they are retired by now. And then you start unraveling this and you can find all kinds of crazy things like someone emailing something to someone so that they can email it to another one who makes a change and then emails it back, you know, emails it to the fourth person. And this, you know, you find an email that goes between six people when it's only like actually one email that should just reach the final person immediately. You can cut out all of those middle steps. And that's just an example, but those are the kind of things that you find and Then you ask the people involved, like, why didn't you see this, right? And Mm -hmm. they were like, no, I just get this email and my instructions is to email it to that person over there. And (laughs) and then, you know, they don't go around question these things all day. Like they would be, they would go insane if they did that. So it's completely natural. And if you do this to yourself, you will find yourself being in the same situation. Like, oh, why am I actually doing this? Like uh, someone else can probably do this instead. Like, why am I taking this report and sending it to you You could just take the report yourself. Mm -hmm. A lot of these little process hacks that you can find. But I wanted to make a point where it's interesting because when you talk about design, domain-driven design or behavior-driven design, you don't have to be a programmer to be good at it. Sometimes it might even be better to not be a programmer because it's so easy. Like You see that all the time when we have developers writing you know, Gherkin scenarios, they write them as a pseudocode. I and mean, you like, you read it and it's like,
1: this, Nobody does th- this. Hey. this is obfuscated C-sharp, you know? Yeah, you don't want to mis- leave any holes. You don't yeah. want to be misinterpreted. Exactly. It's like, yeah. we're too, yeah, but, but it's we are but write it for go. the compiler. Yeah, has to work. <laughs> exactly. like, yeah If um, else, if else,
2: if else.
0: So, so uh, but the problem with the business, I think, is that a lot of people look at programmers and expect them to be good at this. You probably might even have that expectation of yourself. Like, I am a programmer, therefore I am good at designing systems. Which is not true, (laughs) you know? Mm. I'm a programmer, therefore I am good at writing code. But I might not be a good designer. Or I might be. But the thing is, if you are able to combine those two, you become a superhero. Because if you are able to design and implement, you can short-circuit everything. right? And you become 10 times as effective. And your solutions will be much, much better.
1: And, uh, yeah, and simpler. And simpler, yeah. Like, if you get this event happening, and then you know, I, oh, on this event, so you know where it starts, you know what you have, you go through your little code, and then you end with an event or something. Or you end with it writing something. That's like, that's all. It's like, you have this code, and it fits in in the diagram. So as long as you have all the pieces... It's very easy to follow, and yeah, and it's so like contained. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, you have
0: this. There's this actually. The, the, the you have the designer part, and you have the implementer part. Then you have the third part, which you also touch with the domain expert. Imagine what happens when you combine all of those three in one brain.
2: Unlimited power.
0: <laughs> and that is exactly what we are trying to do here. You know, yeah. we are trying to make all the developers, all the Actually, you're you're a developer when you can design and code. If you can't design, then you're just a coder, right? Uh, if you can design but can't code, you're just a designer. But when you're a developer, you can do both. But if you're a developer and a domain expert, since we are working in e-commerce, we become our own domain experts. We know how e-commerce work, so we can combine all of those three, and that is so incredibly powerful. It's almost ridiculous.
2: Mm, but yeah, I think. Still, since we like to find customers who have their niche, like maybe not all of them are not selling like clothes, for example. There's yeah. still parts of the domain that might be undiscovered by us because we don't have previous experience with that Absolutely. type of Absolutely. commerce. Yeah, but it's like uh, you
0: know, you you're at a, at a specific level. Like it's like,
1: uh,
0: it's not yes or it's not binary, right? Yeah, you can you can be a ten percent domain model or a domain expert. Yeah. Uh you can be like, maybe I'm missing some parts of your business, but I know about, uh, I, I already know how 80% of it works. So yeah. we don't have to walk through that. We can, sp- we can focus on the very specific things to differentiate you from others. Mm. And you wouldn't even be able to see that if you weren't somewhat of a domain expert yourself. You wouldn't even be able to differentiate. Like, what is it that makes this company different from other companies? Where do they find, you know, their reason for existing even Uh, where do they beat their competitors
1: and that's um, uh, yeah that's what you should strive for I mean we we work with them we don't work for them so they are taking care of knowing their domain also and they are like good at e-commerce too but like we come in with our portion of the e-commerce stuff too Uh, so yeah exactly it's like uh, you
0: it's, but it's a really easy to visualize. Like, you know, would you, if you were to build a car, would you want to have a mechanic or a mechanical engineer, let's say, who has been designing bicycles all their life? Or would you want to have one who has designed cars all their life? Even if it's your car, you're going to build this car and it's going to be a unique car. But who do you want to pick for, for the engineering part? The person who understands. Most of what makes up the you know general concept of a car or someone who knows how to build you know the best bicycles in the world, I would pick the one with the with the car
2: probably, yeah, even if the other guy has better principles and yeah. better like knowledge in general, it's too specific.
0: yeah, well, then it would take both but uh, <laughs> but it's uh if you look at the industry that we are in, software development. You don't see this kind of specialization all that much, like a lot of firms are doing everything because they think the value of what they're doing sits in the fact that they can for example code or you can find firms that are only doing design it could be user experience design uh, or it could be other types of of, of you know design areas, right. but they're doing you know user experience design for any kind of business you know it could be within air, any, you know, mobile app versus ERP system. But they are user experience designers, so they do everything. And uh, what we're trying to do is, well, we, we, could, we do all of that, but we'll do it for a specific niche, like e-commerce. That's, mm. where, we, that's where we work. So, um, and I think you will be seeing more of that specialization in the future as well. It's like, you can go to a doctor, but there are many different types of doctors. You know, they are all medical doctors, but... Some are better at internal organs than, and some are better at, you know, fixing your ear problems. And uh, I think we need to specialize within the software development community as well, because there's no way that you will be able to know all of it. Exactly. You don't need to know all of it, but, but I mean, you need to specialize. You need to be, you need to be a good craftsman. You know, you have to, you have to have the craftsmanship of writing good code. You also have to have the, Ability to design complex systems and then you also need to know understand your customer uh, And for, in order to understand your customer you have to have a bit of domain knowledge So you cannot expect to be in this business, you know working with e-commerce and not understanding, you know, the, the various Concepts that we are dealing with, you know, you have to you have to understand conversion theory uh, you have to understand Finance and economics, like you have to understand how accounting works to some degree. You have to understand, you know, how to integrate and how to, you know, build stable integrations.
1: But we also have different roles, which are like how much you lean into certain subjects. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, you, I mean, we do more development than you do, but you do more business development than over like... Overall architecture, like helping out. Yeah, but as
0: a, as a team, as a unit yeah, yeah. for the team, we can do all of it.
1: Yes. And, uh, you know, that's why we have a team. It's like we have a team, like we have the medic, we have the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. grunt, we have... <laughs> no. The sniper. I was looking at you, Oscar, and you, <laughs> you didn't said
0: mean grunt. it. Yeah, but you have you, obviously you have specialization in, in many sort of layers, and you have individual specialization, and then you have the team. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the uh, keys. But as uh, it goes back to like, you can have a team of medical doctors who specializes in different things, but they have a common shared understanding of human anatomy, for example. Like there are these basic things that you cannot escape from. You can't say, I don't need to know what an ER diagram is because I'm not a domain designer. Or I don't need to understand the importance of white space <laughs> in a in a visual interface because i'm not a designer or i don't need to understand the emotions that various colors trigger because i'm not a designer or i don't need to understand how a processor works because i'm not a developer like there's so many excuses i think you need to have a basic understanding of all of them in order to become effective like if you don't want to become effective sure You know, you can specialize. Specialization doesn't mean avoiding everything else. It means knowing a little bit about everything, but then being really good at something. You know, talk about T-shape knowledge, where you have a very broad base, but then you go really deep into one specific area. Because otherwise you wouldn't be able to communicate with someone. Like, how are you going to communicate with a UX designer if you don't know anything about UX?
2: You can't. Exactly. Because you won't even know what to say. Exactly. Exactly. Like
0: you're trying to communicate something about, you know, they talk about this... Uh, the contrast
2: between uh, the <laughs> foreground and the background. Exactly. Whatever, you don't even like, know what the contrast is. Or why it even matters. So you yeah, like, exactly. have a red text on a blue background or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you mess up the margins because you don't care. You don't think they matter. There are so many things. You need to have an understanding of the people that you are working with. It's also
1: much easier for you to not mess up the design that you got if you understand why it looks like it does. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's not just to look good. It's because it works better this way. So it's like, I don't want to do this CSS. Let's just leave it because it looks fine to me. That's not okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So have we answered your question? Entity versus object. Yeah. One hour ago, <laughs> we asked this, but yeah, I think I think I understand it way better than I did before. As you guys heard, my idea was that I could compare an entity to a class, which obviously is not a one-to-one relation. So that's yes. not true. Yeah, but they do they do have something in common. Yes, I see yep. that the entity is way more abstract than the object, and uh, the object, if I'm not mistaken, from what you said. The object has like an identifier, for example. Was, was it the object we said that had it? Or was uh, it the, entity? Entity. the entity has the yeah. identifier. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's like your personal number. If
1: I talk about your personal number, I'm talking about you, Oscar. Exactly. Uh, yeah. No one else with that personal number. And if he talks about your personal number, you hear that number and it's a personal number, you know he's talking about you. Yeah. Because that's the entity yeah. behind yes. that. Uh, but an Oscar... Just any object. Any. Any yeah. any, any, Oscar. Oscar. Any,
2: Oscar. any instance of human. Yeah. yeah.
1: With the yeah. name Oscar. Yeah, a human is a class.
2: Yeah. Oscar right. is
1: an entity. Uh,
0: is one way of nah, putting it. Nah,
1: his number. Yeah, that Oscar is an yeah. entity.
0: It's yeah. an instance. But, uh, but Assuming there's only one person in the world whose yeah. name is Oscar, we can say Oscar is an entity, a human is a class. Yeah. But, on the other hand, you can also say, in some context, you may hear that human is an entity. Because it's the but, entity type.
2: Yeah, exactly. That also
0: makes sense. Yeah. I mean, but look- it all depends sort of on the context. Right. Good. Great. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.